Today's scripture is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And from John chapter 9, verse 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've been singing and reflecting on light, but before we continue, I wanted to give you a heads up. We're just going to begin a little bit dark. There's a litany of death statistics concerning issues that dominate our media now. If it feels heavy, feel free to pause or get up and disconnect for a bit, but I promise we're not staying dark for the entire time. On the screen, you'll see a, a list of, you know, un, uh, deaths in America. So mental health, suicide, 48,000 people die every year. Uh, this is according to 2019 CDC stats. Drug overdoses, 71,000. Gun violence, 40,000 deaths per year. So we're talking tens of thousands per year of these un very unfortunate and hopefully uh, unnecessary deaths. But we can't, of course, ignore COVID, right? COVID in over two years, this is not an annual figure, we're almost 800,000 deaths. Worldwide, that's 5.2 million deaths. But how do these numbers compare to other big historical issues in America, like slavery and the North American genocide uh, and of indigenous peoples? So the trans in the transatlantic slave, just in the transport of slaves over you know, those decades, 10 to 12 million Africans were transported to America, and uh, about 15 to 25% died en route. So generously, let's say 3 million people died in this travel across the Atlantic Ocean. This, of course, doesn't account for those who died while 
under slavery here stateside. Indigenous peoples in North America, they estimate about between a million or up to 15 million population of indigenous peoples here in North America. Uh, and then when the settlers arrived by 1900, that there's an estimated population, the lowest is 237,000 people. So from as high as 15 million down to 237,000 people. So in America, slavery and indigenous genocide are in the single digit to maybe tens, uh, double digit millions. Okay, so let's look at 20th, the 20th century. America in the West might think of these massive tragedies like World War II, World Wars. So they come up on the screen, yeah, World War I, 17 million people died. In World War II, 85 million people died, civilian and military. So those are big numbers. And of that 85 million, 6 million were Jew Jews, who two-thirds of the Jewish population in Europe were extinguished. No, so now we're not, no longer in the tens of thousands or hundreds. We're in the tens of millions of unnecessary deaths. So that's from a very Western perspective. Let's expand it to a bit more global. The Russian Civil War at the beginning of the 20th century, five to nine million people died. And when Stalin took over, there's between estimates between six to 61 million people were killed under his uh, you know, leadership. And then you have right next to Russia, you have China, Civil War. Eight to 12 million people died in that conflict. And when Mao took over, there was estimated 45 to 77 million people who were killed under his leadership. Then you have maybe closer to, the, to today, we have Cambodian Civil War, you know, two million deaths out of a population of eight million. It's a quarter of the population gone. Congo Civil War, just around the turn of this century, about five million people died in that. So, and then we get to the very bottom, you'll no, notice Abortions, as the abortion law winds its way through Supreme Court, once again, I'll leave the legal opinions to the experts, but whatever side you might land on, and whoever you might th wherever you might think fetus em uh, embryo viability is, articles rarely talk about the sheer numbers. There were 620,000 abortions performed in America last year. 56 million abortions globally. That's a, those are some big numbers. So, the stats we began with, COVID, gun violence, those kinds of things, those are the tens of thousands. But, and then we have world wars, tens and tens of millions, and we have that happening every year through abortion. So what's my point in all this? In our modern world, with all of our technological and uh, social progress, we humans don't have a great, the greatest track record when it comes to valuing human life. Globally, the human civilization has never been as wealthy, has never been as educated, and has never had as much power as we've ever had in history. Yet, we're still really bad at caring for one another. What's the way out? More education? More power? More money? With these stats, it seems pretty grim and dark. Is darkness going to win? What kind of light is going to fight this kind of darkness that humans can't seem to break out of? I know Advent is a season of the Christian tradition that says, yes, darkness is real. The world we live in will seek to entertain ourselves or shop ourselves out of the darkness. But the Christian story says darkness is real, but darkness, uh, we don't have to hide from it or ignore it. We, can, we can't even find our way out of darkness by ourselves. What we need is light. We need true light. And we're waiting for true light to come and dispel this darkness that pervades our world. And we join together with generations past 
to remember the past arrival, but also the future arrival of Jesus, the true light of the world. It's something that Jesus himself declares, as Phyllis read for us in 9 verse 5, John 9 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's the thing. So when Jesus declares he's the light of the world, I think most of us listening today will nod your heads, yeah, that's right, Jesus is the light of the world. But is that only because you've been exposed to Christianity? Or maybe Jesus as the light of the world aligns really well with our Euro-centric, derived, America-as-best environment that we've had the privilege of living in. See, for the past 300 years, the West and its democratic and economic ideals have generally been a light on the global stage. But there are also other sources and claims to light. Other religions and cultures around the world celebrate light around this season. Hanukkah, Diwali, Kwanzaa. What does Jesus' claim to being the light of the world do to dispel darkness? What makes it so compelling? In John's prologue to the gospel, we find that he declares two essential qualities of Jesus as light. True light in the word and true light in God. The Apostle John opens his gospel with an in-the-beginning statement, as you, if you look at it. Where else in scripture do we find an in-the-beginning statement? In the beginning. In Genesis. That's right. Genesis 1-3. What does that say? One, one, to three, one and three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. John is making a connection here for us. The word who was with God And the word who was God, who spoke all things into the beginning, into being at the beginning of time, is now the word who arrives into the world as Jesus the Son. But why does John choose to use the image word compared to all the other images we might, might have of God? Like God is love or God is light. Even the metaphors within John, uh, that John uses within his gospel, he, you know, Jesus refers to, I am the door, I am the shepherd. I am the bread, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the light. But why does John start with the word? Various commentators have conjectured that John uses the word to connect with the various philosophical traditions of his time. Kind of like how some youth leaders, or maybe even pastors would say, you know, Jesus is my homeboy, because that connects with where people are at. Word is an image that Greek Stoics and Gnostics and Jews all valued. They all valued the word. But they often viewed word as this disembodied concept. The word was, for many ancient philosophies, just reason and rationality. And while we can guess, only guess how these groups might have heard and understood John using the word, we don't have to guess how John might have understood it. Because he looked to the Old Testament. And how do we see the Old Testament allude to the word? The Old Testament word for uh, word is debar. Then this was often used in connecting God's word being proclaimed in creation or in creative acts or the God's word being proclaimed to reveal who God is or 
God's word being revealed to, uh, declared to deliver or heal a people. And at this point, you might be following along and you're thinking, Andrew, I thought we were talking about light and the darkness. What's all this talk about the word? Well, you're one step ahead of me, so just hold on. You know, Jewish teachers called light many things. They called the righteous light. They called the patriarchs and Israel and even God light. But this term was most commonly used to apply to God's law, to God's word. It shows up in David's psalm, Psalm 119, a, a huge, the longest book or chapter in the Bible, a reflection on God's word. In, in Psalm 119, 105, what does it say? Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. All right, you, you can read it. <laughs> means the same thing. By connecting Jesus as the word to the creation story, John is not only saying that Jesus is, uh, is, the light, is a light in the world, as, and, or that Jesus is the light of the world, as he says in John chapter 9, verse 5. But Jesus is the one from whom light comes forth, as the Genesis account reveals. See, prior to the initiative of the word in creation, the earth was merely dark and formless and empty. And the first creative act of the word, that is God, is to create light. You see, Jesus isn't just light. Jesus isn't just a light out of many possible lights of the various world religions. Jesus isn't even just the brightest light, like the North Star, the brightest light that orients all the other lights. See, though Jesus is the, the word and, and he is all those things, Jesus actually created light. See, before light ever became, was named light, Jesus, the living word, was. And before Jesus created light, darkness was. And light only exists because of the action of Jesus, the living word. And we're in a season of the year where many faiths celebrate light as part of their traditions. As I mentioned earlier, our Jewish friends celebrate Hanukkah. We're lighting the eight candles of the menorah to remember how God provided oil to uh, the temple menorah to keep it lit in the second century BC. Others celebrate Kwanzaa, lighting candles to commemorate the shared struggles and hopes of people of African descent. Our Hindu and Sikh and Jainite friends from the Indian subcontinent will celebrate Diwali to remember the victory of light over darkness, good over evil, and knowledge over ignorance. But it's only the Christian faith that makes this audacious claim to connect our celebration of light, which we do, lighting candles, so connect that celebration of light to remembering the word, the one who created light. That Jesus is the word, not it, and, and, and the Jesus the word is the only light, not just the brightest of lights, but the creator of light gives us incredible hope. You see, darkness by itself is not an equal opposite to light. Darkness is just merely the absence of light. And until light arrived in creation through the proclamation of Jesus, the living word, no other light could have existed in creation. No other life could have come from in creation except by light because life is dependent on light. And in light of this litany of death statistics that I began with this morning, 
we realize that darkness and heaviness, the, the darkness and heaviness we feel about them is just merely the absence of true light. Not of money, not of power, not of education, although all those things do help. It's the absence of the fullness of true light penetrating those dark places in our broken world. That Jesus is the living word who was there in the beginning to initiate light reminds us of an even more substantial hope, though. Jesus, the true, uh, the word as the true light is indeed God. John uses this, the, the image word here as this gateway, as a doorway to all the other images that we find of who God is. And isn't that what words do for us? Jesus, the living word, opens up all these other things. Words take a thought or a feeling and they're formed in our brain. And these thoughts and ideas are unknown to those who hear until we shape our tongues and teeth and our throats into sounds. And it sounds not just any sound, but sounds that are intelligible to the hearers. And we do that. And as we do so, we are participating in God's creative act in the world. See, ideas in our brains and our hearts become words that pass through our mouths, propelled by breath that stimulate sound waves that arrive in the ears of our hearers or maybe um, uh, words on a page on their eyes. And these words that are spoken or read go on to have a life outside of us as a speaker. British theologian N.T. Wright observes, when people hear words, they can change the way you think and live. When people hear words, they can change the way that you think and live. For example, hearing I love you, or hearing it's time to go, or hearing you're fired. They express the speaker's intent, but those words also create new realities and new situations and circumstances for the hearer. When I hear I love you, I feel accepted and bonded. And I'm given the capacity to love more. When we hear it's time to go, that means what we're doing now ends and we have to move on to something else. When you hear you're fired, you immediately think, I need to find a new job. I'm going to support my family. I'm going to pay the rent. And often words can have destructive effects. And some of us have been traumatized by words. And their effects continue to linger long after they are first heard, burned into our memories. Hearing them spoken can trigger traumatic experiences. Words spoken have their effects. And in that account of creation, we are told that God's first creative act was to speak light into darkness. And John here is making a fundamental statement about the word. The word was involved in creation because the word was not only with God, but the word was God. And in the Advent season, in, we remember that the word arrives here on earth in the flesh. See, what was once unclear to the world, what was once formless and shapeless, becomes 100% clear in ways that we humans can understand because the word arrives in the flesh. And God's arrival into the world reveals that the word is not just a concept or rationality or reason. The person, 
The, the word is a person that was not only with God, but was God. The word, and this word as a person is someone that all of creation must contend with. See, the assertion of Christ as the word is an important one. Greek structure and use of the word with God and was God suggests that Jesus was more than just divine. That is, having attributes of God. Jesus wasn't just a human that had more divine characteristics than the rest of us. Or that he lived out those divine characteristics a little better than we did. He wasn't a more enlightened human that walked in light better than the rest of us. John is making the assertion that Jesus was not divine, just divine, but Jesus was deity. Jesus was God. Deity is who God is, not just what God does. This means that we must take the words and actions of Jesus, the living word, as the authority and the power of God. They have the potential to change our situations. Jesus, the living word, can and will illuminate dark places of our lives in our word and our world. Jesus, the living word, reveals brokenness and proclaims healing. Jesus, the living word, regenerates. So darkness doesn't win. In Advent and Christmas, we remember that the arrival of the pre-existent eternal word who was with God and was God has come. We cannot just relegate Jesus to being a divine inspiration. We can't just pick and choose which parts of Jesus we like because we think that's divine. Jesus is deity whose very nature insists on him being treated as such. You know, as eminent Christian thinker C.S. Lewis popularized this idea, Jesus was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. See, an enlightened human being doesn't say things like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Doesn't, they don't say things like, whoever believes in me, though you die, yet you shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Someone who says things like that is either a lunatic lying, or is God. We can't relegate Jesus to what we like of him and ignore the parts that we don't really like. Only God says the kinds of things that Jesus says. And only God does what Jesus has done. Can you imagine as children, we say to our parents, Mom, Dad, I, I really, really love you because you give me a safe place to stay. You feed me. I really like it when you give Christmas presents. But, you know, my, my idea of a loving parent uh, wouldn't make me do chores and wouldn't make me shower every day. A truly loving parent wouldn't take away my screen time. But isn't that what we often do with Jesus, the living word? We try and keep Jesus kind of warm and fuzzy in the divine zone. But we forget that the one who speaks is deity. The living word who speaks is God. Jesus is not only divine. Jesus is God. So where does that leave us when it comes to being in the dark? It means that darkness will not overcome. Darkness does not win when we trust in Jesus. We trust that Jesus, the light of the world, has shone, will shine, and will continue to shine. Jesus, the living word, has spoken and will continue to speak. 
The question for us is, will we allow Jesus to speak and shine into the dark places of our lives and in the dark places of the world we live in? Will we trust Jesus, the living word, to speak true life and light to us? As we conclude today, I just invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable, and I'm just going to lead you in a little reflection. What parts of our hearts and our lives are dark and heavy for us? Can you name them quietly in your heart? Maybe it's a strained relationship that you're wondering how to resolve. Maybe it's past trauma, words spoken, actions done. They seem to poke their head out in your life at the most inopportune times. So you just want to keep them there in the dark because it's easier. Maybe it's the deep divisions that seem irreconcilable in our world. Maybe it's this whole climate change problem that seems insurmountable. Politicians keep getting together, world leaders, but it never goes beyond talk. Maybe you have a business deal gone wrong. As you hear all these voices that may overwhelm you, do you hear the voice of the living word? Jesus, God, saying perhaps something like the following. My beloved child, do not fear. I've got this. Will you trust me with it? Come along and see. Walk in the light with me. In fact, will you join me in speaking life and light into the dark places of this world that we love, that we live in, and that I love so much? Join me in my work of recreating this world as I have intended. Just wait and see. Just wait and see. My friends, may we hopefully and faithfully wait for you, Jesus. And may we wait actively with you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.